Thanks for listening to the Stimulate Run podcast. If you like what you hear, remember to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. If you would like to get in touch or have future guest suggestions, please make contact via email or slide into DMs on any of the social channels. Here's your host, Erwin, with this episode's guest. All right, everybody, we are kicking off season four, 2022 in a in style, let's call it. Um, so welcome to the Simulate Run podcast, Colin Thomas. Hey, Colin, how are you, mate? Yeah, hi, everyone. Thanks very much for the invite. Glad to be so, so as you can hear, um, you are Scottish. Let's reveal that uh, from the start all the way through. But we are, <laughs> we're actually speaking to you from the mecca of distance running. Yeah, I, I you're absolutely right. I am from Scotland and I need to remember to speak slowly because I've just been having a conversation with a, a a guy from the Czech Republic who was struggling to to understand me. So just remind me to speak slowly if I need to. And uh, when you say the mecca of running, yeah, I'm I'm currently sitting here in Iten, the home of champions, as it's known as in Kenya. So we just arrived last night and uh, walked into a blackout. There was a power cut pretty much as soon as we got here. So it was going for a a, a short, easy run before the sun went down. And then back for a cold shower. <laughs> <laughs> so I put a bit of a, a preview in and I was thinking, you know, you want to know about running and specifically the best runners. Like this is the guy who, who would be exposed to it. So you're a physiologist um, and you focus on sports science. Like that's your game. Um, yeah. Spent months living in Kenya, studying from the best. And, you know, we'll unpack a bit of that now. But you've also written a book called um, Red Dust, um, which shares more of your learnings in detail too. Do you want to wind, let's wind right back and let's go through your history just in sport in general and then how you ended up finding yourself where you are? Yeah, cool. Well, as a young lad, I was always actually super keen on football or soccer as it's known as in in some countries throughout the world. And uh, yeah, I I grew up mainly playing playing football all day, every day. Um, And... You know, doing that, I was always, I always quite enjoyed a bit of running um, as part of my football training. And when I got to about the age of 17, I just, I just randomly ran my first half marathon race. Um, enjoyed it. I think, I think my first ever half marathon, just with no training, just being a kind of footballer was, I think, one, one hour 27. And people at the time were telling me, oh, that, that's okay, that's reasonably good, you should get into this a little bit more. Um, <laughs> But I still, I, I stuck to the football for, for quite a time and just just dabbled in running myself. Um, and even as a as a, a footballer, I actually started coaching football when I was 16 years old. So I got into the coaching game quite young, um, which gave me a great, a great background because, of course, coaching skills are so transferable. And gradually, gradually throughout my 20s, the, the playing football became more running and the coaching football became more running coaching, which is cool. And uh, I guess in, in terms of my, my kind of educational background, I, I stumbled into that as well. I ended up doing physiology and sports science at Glasgow University, which was great fun. And I just enjoyed doing that without really knowing where it was going to lead to. Um, and it, it spiralled from there, to be honest. Let me always, I'm fascinated to ask people who go into a, a line of study 
without knowing the endpoint and almost the yeah. discussion around the dinner table. You know, hey, mum yeah. and dad, this is what I want to do. Um, just yeah. deviating a little bit. How did that go down? It kind of went along the lines of, hey, mum and dad, I'm going to go to uni to do sports science. And they kind of looked at me with a squinty face and said, what is that? Why don't you want to be an or an engineer or something, you know? As in, you know, the usual UK jobs that you, your parents try to push you down. And back then, I mean, this, we're talking, I'm going to give away my age here, we're talking 1998 was when I went to university. And sports science was a very, very new thing. Mm. Back then, I, I would guess my year of students would have been one of the first to go through it. Um, and in a way, we were, we were quite lucky, but there was a guy there at Glasgow called Professor Yanis Pitsaladis who's quite well known in the physiology and sports science stuff. He's, he's got a few various books out and um, worked with guys like Kylie Gabby-Selassie back then. Um, and I think his enthusiasm and passion kind of rubbed off on me a little bit. And I kind of, um, it, yeah, it was back then when I got an interest in real endurance athletes and the whole East African bubble. Um, and yeah, that, that rubbed off on me and I, I started to, to get more into how they were so good and you know, watching a race and seeing Kenyans and Ethiopians always winning that race, any kind of distance race, you'd always see you know, Kenyans and Ethiopians at the front. And, and it was way back then when I started to think why and started to research it and, and pick into to various um, resources of, um, you know, back then it was, I guess it was mainly books. And then as the internet expanded, you know, we could start picking up stuff from the internet and really looking into that, the Kenyan phenomenon, why are they so good? So it started for me way back then, even, even before I was a runner. Mm. And uh, were you always driven to just uncover and unpack the most as possible? You know, you, you get and no fault of anybody's. You, a lot of people go, oh, I'll just stay in my bubble and I'll know what I know. Yeah. Whereas it sounds like, yeah you know, you were very much a type of person, well, if I'm going to go into something, I'm going to, I'm going to go, you know, you, how many people are interested in running, but they don't go to Kenya? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it was probably a bit of the child in me one day. I was, I was sitting in work one day and ha having a bad day. Everyone has bad days at work, right? But it's not often you get to lunchtime and just, just go and book a flight to Kenya just because you want to. That's basically how it came about. Um, a friend of mine in Scotland, uh, he's a good level athlete as well, a chap called Miles Edwards. So he had a house in Kenya at the time uh, where he, he runs a foundation, which uh, I'd like to mention, Kathimba Edwards Foundation, which people should look into. So Miles used to come out to, to Kenya a lot for that. He had a, he had a house. And he actually said to me, you know, if you, if you do ever go out there, um, you know, just stay at my house. And that's when I thought, well, I've got to do it then. So I just went out, booked the flights, and that was it. Organised, gone. <laughs> and, and was, uh, were you like one. that in the rest of your life though because you know or was it just simply that one day you said you know what I'm changing the way I live and I'm just gonna go out and see and have a crack or you know were you always very much like let's just see where the road takes us yeah I think for this it's always something that I wanted to do and I think there was always reasons to put it off and now I was I, or then I got to the point where there was more reasons to do it rather than more reasons to put it off. And I just thought, I'm not going to put it off anymore. I'm just going to go and do it. And that was it. I booked, yeah, booked the flights and came out to E10 all by myself and pretty much knowing nobody. 
here. So I was, I was totally reliant on somebody picking me up at Elderette Airport. And if that person never turned up, <laughs> would have done. Yeah. <laughs> and did it, that first initial um, reality of what was happening, did it meet your expectations? You know, or did you, did you have this fabricated idea of what might happen getting off the plane, walking out, and you thought, geez, Kipchoge is going to be running past you in the street? Was it anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really know what to expect. And that was kind of the, <clears throat> the kind of mystery adds to the excitement, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I wanted a bit of, I wanted a bit of mystery. And uh, it's more mysterious because it's rural Kenya. Mm. You know, you can't step off an airplane and wave down a taxi at the airport. You're, you're completely reliant on other people. Um. And that first time I arrived as well, actually, I got dropped off at the compound in E10. And again, I was relying on an Irish chap called Kieran to, who was to meet me and let me into the compound and give me a key to the house. And again, it was one of those things that if Kieran wasn't there, we're, we're, you know, I arrived at night and there was, a, again, there was a power cut, complete mm. blackness. And if Kieran wasn't, I'd never have got into my house. I don't know. I would have been sleeping in the street in the first night. So there's always that you require to happen mm. just your basic needs attended yeah i'm just it's very much like a just a flyby night kind of but things just happen and evolve you know i've had a couple of people on previously who have even been to kenya and they said they kind of underestimated uh how cautious you had to be and it was very much like they got told stay here stay don't do this whereas you know you almost had the same you were going in so blind I'd and I wonder yeah. if that was that moment where you thought oh geez this is not Scotland anymore it's <laughs> yeah it's really interesting that you point that out because I, to be honest I think there's too much of that what, what you described the don't do this and don't do that I think a lot of westerners if we can if we can call it that are a bit too cautious so a lot of people will come to E10 and they'll go and stay at the high altitude training centre or they'll go and stay at Kerry View because these are the these are the places that are known, mm. and they're they're known to be um, safe and almost kind of controlled. But I think if you go there and stay at these places, okay, that you know they're nice places, go and do that. But I think it's it's important to also experience the Kenyan way. So live in a Kenyan compound, learn learn how the Kenyans live, do do a bit of basic living, a bit of basic cooking, basic nutrition, do all of that. Um, Otherwise, you might as well be in Tenerife. Mm. You know, you, you, you could be anywhere and you could be anywhere in Europe if, if 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 you just do that. I think it's really important to mix with the Kenyans and really really learn about their way, way of life, their background, where they've come from, come from, what they've been through to get there, and 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 what they have to go through just to make a living, whether it's being an athlete or not. You know, yeah, to well, see a, a background at a basic level is really really important. We're kind of having this dinner, uh, the conversation over dinner actually last night with a few people of going uh, to countries in Africa. And, you know, a lot yeah. of the times the tourists will, no fault of anybody, stay in the hotel, go to the tourist locations. Everything looks amazing, yeah. like a postcard. You come home, somebody asks you how your trip was. Oh, it was amazing. Oh, we, we saw, um, you know, where people lived, but 
it wasn't actually the real world. Um, yeah. And it's always one of those things that you go, oh, I'd love to just expose you to the reality um, yeah. because you've seen a fabricated uh, settlement, let's say, um, which might have been created yeah. to show you what it's like for safety. But um, And I'm sure the Kenyans even appreciate when, you know, you come and stay and live the way that they live. Yeah, I, th- I think they do. I think they, they, they appreciate that of any of us that, that come out here and perhaps you know, go and visit a Kenyan family, you know, go to their house for dinner, that, that kind of thing. They, they really, really do try their best to look after you. Mm. Um, they really welcome you into their house. They, 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 they really welcome you into, your, into the communities because the Kenyans really do live, live in like miniature communities. And even their kids from the youngest age, they're not, they're not molecules as they are back home. The, the kids are kind of let loose just to learn how to live. And the community brings up those kids, which is really cool. Quite often, both parents will be away, away off to, to earn money and whatever they do to earn money. And, you know, the kids will be left at home and the neighbours will just watch over them. Or the grandparents will watch over them. And the kids will just learn by going out and, and doing stuff. It's, it really is amazing to see. And people often asking me, or people often question about, do you feel safe? And out here, certainly in E10, I feel totally safe, like no issues at all. I mean, I, yeah, I make a joke, E10, I, I feel safer in E10 than what I do in Glasgow. But that depends on how you perceive Glasgow. <laughs> and what time of the night. I think it's also if you're staying in the community, you know, you're probably not a target. Whereas if you stay in uh, a compound, people almost go, all right, well, he is a tourist or he's, you know, he, he's not comfortable in his surrounds. Whereas if you yeah. living in the community, you, you assimilate, don't you? Yeah, absolutely right, 100%. I think one of the, one of the signs out here, you know, um, they don't have the name Colin in Kenya, but they have the name Collins with an S on the end of it. So they, they, they tend to call me Coach Collins, Coach Collins, Coach Collins. So I think they almost see me more as being one of, of them rather yeah. than a tourist you know certainly in the last few years probably the first year or two when I first came out maybe I was seen a bit as a as a tourist but once you once you become part of the community as you say you just you become one of them absolutely and it's probably also a bit of there'd be one-off trips and they probably sit there and go well, let's not get too close to this person because oh they just come here to see what we do you know they see us on YouTube and coming for a week or two weeks and away they go whereas the fact that you are a repeated visitor it shows that you're actually interested in not only uh learning from them but also learning from them the people yeah i think you're absolutely right um you know from the moment i landed um and putting a couple of things on instagram for instance and got quite a lot of people from e10 that follow me and they're all you know, commenting right away, you know, welcome to Kenya, come and visit us, come and see my school, blah, blah, blah. So you just get all these invites immediately. Yeah. So they're, they're inviting me into the community, they're inviting me to their place of work, they're inviting me to their home, which is which is great. It's just so, so super friendly, to be honest. And you, the runner, mate, not too shabby. Uh, so you mentioned uh, your first ever half marathon of no training of 124. Um did your running continue to develop? Um, obviously, before you kind of, you know, made a little bit of a transition into coaching, but you, the runner, um, how far and yeah. where is that at, at the moment? Oh, man, me as a runner. Do you know, 
I would have loved to have been a professional runner. I would have absolutely loved to. But, I mean, I, I got into running a bit too late and I probably don't have the natural talent for it, unfortunately, as well. Even even if I give it, you know, 100% best shot, did everything, everything the best I possibly could, I still don't think I would I would be a professional runner. I just don't think the talent's there, unfortunately. Breaks my heart, but it's true. <laughs> but I'm still I'm still ticking along reasonably um competitively and 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 hoping to I mean the last couple of years have been difficult without having many races on. Mm-hmm. But I, I still think uh I still think I can I can improve a little bit more. Even you know, into my into my forties, there's definitely improvements to be made. Um, people often say, certainly back home in the UK, see if you're a sports person, once you hit 30, that's you finished. That's, it. that's <laughs> like, I finished, I finished sports, sports person is at the age of 30, which is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Because certainly in endurance sports, you're, you're hitting your peak in your late 30s, even into your 40s, you know, easily, easily into your 40s. So I think um, there's, for me, there's still more, still more to come. Yeah, I would say I can still make improvements, and that's that's the message to everyone out there. Like, as long as you do your best is the is the first thing, but don't don't be giving up because somebody else tells you that you've got the label of being too old, or you've got the label of not good enough. You know, don't listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose you you almost when you identify that you really enjoy the coaching side of things you almost you yeah. have to choose don't you and there's there comes a time where one of the other becomes the, the sole focus um so i dare say yeah. you were at that bit of a crossroad and now you're probably at the point where you go okay like let's kind of dabble a bit more and get a bit of a six month hit in my running six month hit in my coaching as well from there yeah you're, you're totally right it's very very difficult to do both and anyone who tries to do both i'm sure will tell you the same thing and I've probably been at that crossroads for the past few years. Um, well, for the past, yeah, the past five or six years, I've been juggling both really. Um, yeah, it's been getting more and more challenging to juggle them both. I'd say over the last two or three years, I've spent more time coaching than what I have done on my own running. So I'm probably moving, yeah. On, on that scale, on that spectrum, I'm probably sliding more towards the coaching side now. That's fine. You know, I've totally accepted that and I'm, I'm happy with that because um, I love it. absolutely love it. Um, the, the things I, I, I do really get a kick out of somebody doing their first 5K, for instance, you know, um, especially if they've come from absolutely nothing and can barely run a step when they start and then they go out there and, and do a park run and whatever time it takes them. They're delighted to get around 5k. They're the happiest people and they're the ones who give you a really big kick as a coach. And then also the other end of the scale, when you see when you see guys at the Olympics or on the television doing whatever they do, you also get real good enjoyment out of that as well. And everything in between, obviously, the, the, the club side of stuff is great. And yeah, I really do enjoy it all, to be honest. Do you think you were destined to coach? Yeah. I think I was destined to coach. Yeah. Hold on two seconds. Right. Hello? Can you come? Hi. George, uh, I'm just recording a podcast. Is, is, is he on the mails? Oh, no. Duncan. Duncan, Duncan. Ah, yeah, he's on the phone. Duncan. Ah. George is ah, here. Sleeping? Sleeping? Oh. No, I think he's on the phone. This, this, I was just 
telling you at the start of the podcast about yeah. the Czech Republic guy that I have to speak slowly right. to. It's yeah. a, it's the true experience with front doors, don't Bye. Okay. I, I like, I'll do like, I look back. <laughs> the, no, the no front door rule. Sorry, okay, yeah. That's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I was saying, look, do you think you were destined to coach? Do I think I was destined to coach? Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's a difficult question. That's a really difficult question. I always have enjoyed it. Um, I don't. I, I don't know if, if anyone's destined to anything to do anything. I think we. I think we create our own destiny, and coaching may be the destiny that I'm creating for myself. Absolutely. So if we're looking at it in those terms, then. Yeah, possibly. And it is something that I want to do more and more of. And it's something that I want to get to the very top of. I was going to say is think, the, the ambition side. I was going to, my next question was going to be, where do you want to get to? Because you mentioned the joy you get from a 5K runner. But then I was interested yeah. to hear the joy, or not the joy, but the Olympic athlete. Um, and I thought, yeah. and knowing that you're ambitious, just by what you've said, is that where you want to go? Yeah, I mean that's what the challenge is, right? You know, once you once you are at the very top of the game, it's as, as they say, marginal gains or or it's very small steps, and there's it's looking at what tiny things you can do to make those minuscule improvements. So that's where the challenges lie. Um, and yeah, I I, I think I guess you know, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be sitting here any ten. If I didn't want to do that, I yep. think, you know, I'd be at home with my home comforts. <laughs> <laughs> and would you say, you know, you can, some cultures are very guarded with their, let's yeah. call them secret herbs and spices. Um, but it yeah. seems like Kenya is very much about developing the sport and, you know, we'll give to you as long as you respect what we do and take it away. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, if you went to Europe or even the States, it's very much like, oh, let's not trust the, the foreign guy. Um, and not yeah. let him in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, you're absolutely right. I think you've hit the nail on the head there with something which is very, very important. I think back home in the UK, there's too much of people trying to control what, what they do. And, and it's almost like they want to keep their own knowledge and not share it with everyone else. Kenya's completely different. Kenya's an open book. And you can almost write it if you want to. Um, they're very keen to invite you in and show you what they do. Quite often, a lot of the athletes here, they, I would go as far to say that they don't really know what their plan is because they don't have a plan. They can quite often bounce from one training group to the other training group. Um, quite a good little story to, to demonstrate that. They, you could have a group of Kenyan athletes going for a run, but none of them have a GPS watch. So they don't actually know how far they're going, but they'll, they'll have a basic stopwatch. So you could say to them after the run, um, how far did you run or what was your session? And they'll say to you, half marathon. We did a half marathon. And, you know, if I say to them, how do you know you did a half marathon? You've not got a GPS watch. They'll just say, we times, we ran fast for 60 minutes. And if we run fast for 60 minutes, we've ran half marathon. So training run today was half marathon. You know, it's as simple and as basic as that. And... Uh, 
they're, they're so open and that they don't they don't have secrets. They don't keep secrets. There's, there's always this big thing. What is the secret of Kenyan athletes? What is the secret out there? And he, there's, there's absolutely not. It's it's um, it's hard training and it's the way they live. And uh, you can pull in the environment such as the altitude and the difficult terrain. So you know it's, it's very very hilly. And all of that kind of comes together and just creates that that strong, strong athlete. And ultimately, it's the competition because they, they don't have a natural career pathway out here. You know, speaking from the UK, it's go to school, go to college, university, go on and get a job, typically. But that's where you're kind of pushed by your parents. Mm. Here, there's, there's, there's no such luck. So it's, it's poor farming families. And... Only the lucky ones go to school. Really, there's there's a lot of them don't that don't go to school. So it's, what else is there? They're, they're, you know, do they want to live on the, the family farm forever? Not now because they can see these athletes escaping. They, they've they've got that vision of, you know, it probably started with like Kip Kano back in the sixties, and all the way through they've now seen these successful athletes, and it's just grown and grown and grown, and spiraled and spiraled and spiraled. So even here, when you when you're any ten, you'll see, um you know, Wilson Kipsang and um, et cetera, et cetera, just, just running past in the street. And and, that, and that's, the, I guess that is the end game for all of these hundreds and thousands of, of Kenyan athletes who just, obviously, I don't know whether they're waking up one day and just decide I'm going to be an athlete or or whatever, whatever flicks that switch. They've now got that vision that they can see an escape, they can see an end goal in an end game, but a light at the end of and that's the thing that drives them on. And I guess that's ultimately the secret. It's yeah. not getting anything else. And the exposure, let's, let's drop some names here in terms of coaching exposure. Uh, so, you know, oh, Renata Canova, uh, <laughs> Brother Colm, those type of people. Um, before yeah. you went, you obviously would have known of them. Um, but when, you know, that first few times of being exposed to what they do, can you share what that experience was like? And then, you know, if it changed anything that you thought, if you were a mileage person or if you were a speed, but just anything that you would have learned and completely flipped your mindset. Yeah. I mean, these guys out here that, that coach at the top level, they, they tell you the best stories. You know, see if you sit down to dinner with them or for a cup of tea with them, they will just tell you so many inspiring stories. It's, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's incredible. And um, training out here is so simple and basic. Um, you know, you, you struggle even to find a heart rate monitor. Um, it's for a lot of athletes, they, they won't monitor distance, which I guess makes complete sense because you're, you're, when you're training, your body does not know how far you've ran. Okay. Why do we even measure that? It knows how long you've ran for. And it knows the effort that you've put in, i.e. the intensity. So that's really the two things you need. You need to work out your intensity, how hard or how easy am I going to make this session and how long am I going to run for, really, is the, is the two things that your body knows. And I think that's something that I've got from the coaches and the athletes out here. Um, you know, back home, the question is always asked, how many miles have you ran this week? How many miles have you ran this week? How many miles did you do last year? Let's look it up on Strava, see how many miles such and such has ran on Strava. And do you know what? It doesn't really matter. 
it's what you've done during those miles mm. actually counts. It's about getting that overload, i.e. making it hard enough and then getting the recovery. So making making your training easy enough after that. And that's what creates the adaptations and the improvements in fitness. Not the how many miles have I done last week? That's completely meaningless, really. And, and ultimately, everyone will have their kind of sweet spot as to how many miles that is. But you, you don't get it from a GPS watch. You get it from, you, you'll figure that out from your body. Uh, yeah, and in terms of tech, I think it would be remiss not to touch on that. And, you know, let's say in the Western world, we're, we're just so, um, just, just it's everywhere. Uh, Strava, we've yeah. got to have a look straight away at what we're doing and we've got crowns. And, um, you know, if we don't have GPS, we're all standing there with our arms in the air, shoes, totally. shoe technology. And I, I dare say it would have crept in amongst the elite runners there. But, you know, yeah. you're probably also seeing people doing everything in the same shoe. Yeah, the shoe debate is really interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, all these super shoes were first tested out here in the den. You know, once they got them out of the lab, they sent loads of them over here. And, uh, yeah, without without mentioning too many companies, because I'm, I'm not really involved in it, so I don't know the intricacies of it, but I know there's other companies coming out here in the next week or two. Mm. They're testing them with the Kenyan athletes. So I guess that's a sign of the, the respect even the biggest companies in the world will come here and use Kenyan athletes to test their technology. But yeah, it's interesting. You 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 see um, a lot of they're obviously good runners. These these guys that will still run, for instance, a twenty eight minute ten k, but they're running in pretty basic running shoes. So you you have to think, what would that that athlete then run if you gave him a pair of super fast carbon plated racing shoes? Where where could he go with it? You know, or I guess another question is, if the training technology was here to make their training more accurate, where could they go? Mm. But we could ask about lots. We could ask that same question about lots of things because the nutrition is so super basic. And in many ways, it's good because it's all organic. It's locally grown. But when you look at studies here, it's so basic that potentially they could be lacking in a lot of nutrients. So then you think, what if you actually gave them the perfect diet? Yeah. Where would their training and their performance then go? So I guess what I'm saying is, although the Kenyans here are deemed to be the best in the world and creates, you know, here still creates all the world champions and world record holders, but there's still improvements that they could make. They could still go further. You know, we've seen the sub two marathon, or if, if we call it a marathon, time trial, perhaps some people might say it is. But where could that 159 marathon time, where could that go next? Half marathons at 57 now, which is just ridiculous. And yeah, I, I suppose I, it's, I, it's the little things, isn't it? It's even, we talk yeah. about hydration and there's about 500 supplements if you go into a store. Whereas I dare say there, there's, there's not the yeah. 500 supplements to choose from. It might be maybe one or it's just water, but they're getting the same yeah. result. And it's so broken down. Um, yeah, the tech fascinates me. And I suppose with your um, educational background, you know, even give a personal view on where tech has gone and even shoes. <laughs> and do you think, you know, we're overcomplicating that part of things? Hugely overcomplicating it because we get so much data back. Right? We get so much data from wearables, et cetera. What does that data actually wear us, actually tell us? 
I don't think people know what that, that data tells them or what it, what it means to them. They just want to have it because it's available. Mm. What they're actually getting in terms of data is just lots of noise. But the majority of people don't know how to, to break through that noise. And perhaps in amongst it, there is a gem of information or something that they should be taking out of it. But actually, we, we don't know how to. We don't know how to. So I think most athletes or most runners would be better runners if they actually reduced their technology. And if, if we could probably lump that into supplements as well, right? Because supplements is just a huge business and people just buy them because they're there. They don't actually need them. The only reason somebody needs a supplement is if they're actually clinically prescribed it because they've had, for instance, a blood test, which might tell them that they're low on iron or anemic, therefore they need an iron supplement. What actually happens is people take too many supplements that it, they, these block each other, they blunt each other's those usage and, and we're probably just making, making our body function worse by taking them. So yeah, we need, to, we need to simplify supplements and get back to basics in terms of nutrition and actually eat properly in the first place. And we need to simplify technology and actually take the important bits. And in terms of, you know, the coaching side, there and also the coaching side at home um you know we we're talking about how running coaching has boomed um if not globally but i definitely know um here have you seen that happen there you know have people almost gone well i'm not going to make it as an athlete maybe i'll go into the coaching side of things yeah what i've seen in the past six or so years here is almost uh so going back a few years the only people that ran here would be elite athletes or people trying to be elite athletes. Mm. Now actually starting to see a little bit of recreational running. Okay. Or you see small amounts of people running because they might enjoy it or because they actually feel the health benefits, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just starting to seep into the, the recreational scene here, which is really, really interesting. Um, and that might... That, that might spiral into you know, an even bigger running boom because I think there's a real need to get more females into running here. You, 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 you could easily see a group of 100 runners go past you, but there's maybe only a few females. So I, I, I really hope that that, that that builds more females into running. And I think the recreational side of stuff out here as well is, is um, starting to, to develop. Coaching-wise, um. The coaching's always been very basic, but they're very smart and switched on about it. They, they learn from their own bodies and their own experiences, and they learn from the athletes. And although it is very, very basic, it's, it's, it's amazing how, like I was, I was saying earlier on about the, the overload and recovery, that's really all training is. Mm. And that's, they've, they've got that down to a T. They can really, um, you know, coaches really know how hard they can push their athletes and what the athletes should be doing in a hard session and the athletes know their own bodies and they're really good at pushing through barriers and getting that overload. But they're also so switched on to the recovery. They, they, they train hard and they recover even harder. So the easy runs are easy. They get lots and lots of sleep, go to bed early at night, maybe have an afternoon nap. They chill during the day. They do virtually nothing during the day. So it's super, super recovery. And I think that's the key to it. And yeah, the coaches are so switched on to that and really promote that recovery. So push the athlete hard and then recover, 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 recover. Um, and, and it really is that basic. I think the coaching is starting to develop as well because 
you're starting to see more coach education going on here. A few years ago, there wasn't really anything. So a, a, a coach would really be an ex-athlete mm. who's labelled but hasn't done any kind of education to make them a coach. Whereas now they're starting to get that education. So again, it goes back to what we were saying before, that there's still more potential. Because as the coaching improves and gets better, that's going to have another kick-on positive effect for the runners and the athletes. So there's going to be more improvements and potentially, I think, more numbers, more volumes of big athletes, which is going to create even more competition and, again, make it harder to get to the top. So, yeah, more, more potential, better athletes. And then when you go home, how is it to slip back into the Western way of, you know, the, and the balance and people going to work and it's very full on running just holds a, such a small percentage in the day, the way yeah. people might not take it as seriously when it is so simple, you know, the recovery runs done way too fast, where you'd sit there and go, geez, 10 hours away, there's people <laughs> who run a 205 marathon running their recovery run at five minute case. Um, yeah. you know it's I think that's yeah. one of the biggest differences and it'd be interesting to see you living it what that's like yeah it is very different I guess I have to put on a completely different hat because there's there's the elite coach and there's a the recreational coach and you, you could even break that that down into further categories because back home you've got you've got the people who run a lot who want to get better You've also got the people who, who run a lot because it's a sociable thing and they want to meet the group of runners and go for a run and have a chat. So I guess there's a few different hats there. There's, there's coaching those who just want to have a chat and that's great and enjoyable. And, and you know, you just, you just make them enjoy it and mm. make it fun so they're coming back to the group. And then you've got the ones who still really want to improve, but they've perhaps got so much else going on in their life that they maybe don't have the time to commit to it. And I think that's where the challenges lie. One of the frustrations is probably when, when people use the excuse, I'm saying excuse, not reason, that they say, I don't have time to run today or I don't have time to run tomorrow or I've only got time to run twice a week or three times a week. But you know fine well that they're watching two hours of television that night. You know, and it's like, it's not that you don't have the time, it's where do your priorities lie? And it's absolutely fine if, if, if their priority is, is work, they've got a big job or something to do, absolutely fine. They've got a family to look after, absolutely fine. But don't tell you me that you don't have the time and then go and watch two hours of television or something of that, you know, and still want to become a better runner. If you want to get become a better runner, then let's put in the effort, you know? And the same with recovery or, you know, things like that where people go, I don't have time, but you sit on the couch for two hours when you could be stretching and rolling while you're watching that same TV show. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. The temptation of doing the easy run too fast because somebody's seeing it and, you know, or doing it by yourself because you don't want to run by a group. So I think there are those little differences that in the Western world we wouldn't have um, if it's not as simplified. Yeah, that's it. Well, the, some of the main questions I get these days, you know, going back to what we spoke about earlier on, one of the big questions is, what supplements should I take? Hmm. And it's like, you know, wait a minute, just go back and have a decent diet to start with, you know, put down the junk food, put down the crisps, maybe cut down your 
your beers a little bit and just actually have a decent diet and then you, you don't need to worry about supplements you'll, you'll get a much bigger bang for your buck if you just clean out your diet and then don't waste money on supplements and then you're absolutely fine or what, what kind of shoes should I get and you know should I, should I go and spend 300 bucks on a new pair of shoes well potentially yeah they might make you a little bit quicker they might give you a couple of minutes quicker but actually if you, if you can run three times a week instead of two times a week or four times a week instead of three times a week, you're going to improve by five minutes and save yourself that 300 bucks and a pair of super fast running shoes, you know? Let's get the, get the basics right and and then get, get a bigger bang for your buck. It's, it's definitely the, the way to go. And one of the ones that I have is also choosing when to use those shoes. You know, yeah. one of the things that I'm doing in 22 is only really going to be racing in the super shoe. Um, yeah. Because if you're putting the effort in and you're hitting the numbers with no you know, a heavy training shoe, then come race day with the super shoe, it's going to feel a hell of a lot nicer. Otherwise, if you're using them every day, it's, but again, because we're exposed to it in the Western world, I think we think it's our right to have to use them. Yeah, 100% agree with you. And I think also things like Strava plays a role in that because people almost want to, they want to look as good as they can on things like Strava as well, which I think is just crazy. So therefore, they will run in fast shoes all the time. But I'm I'm completely in agreement with you. Run, you know, train in a training shoe and race in a racing shoe and get the benefits of it in the race. You've also got the benefit of the placebo effect. Mm. So that you've trained in a training shoe and then you're going to race in a faster shoe, just having that on your mind, the placebo effect is so strong, super, super strong. We know that. And ha- having that on race day is a, is a huge plus, a huge plus. Just a couple to finish, mate, and uh, thanks for your time again. But what are some of the trends that you see possibly catching on in a few years? So it might be something you've seen there or something you've seen at home or just even anything that you sit back individually and go, oh, I can see that booming um, just amongst runners or coaches as well. Yeah, I think strength and conditioning is booming just now and I think that's going to go on. People are recognising the benefits of strength and conditioning now. I would say it's taken over from the the kind of yoga, stretching, flexibility type boom that there maybe maybe was five to ten years ago. Um, We know now, the, the science is coming out to saying that strength is more beneficial than flexibility in running terms. And that's starting to, to rub off. Um, so yeah, I can, I can definitely see more people getting into strength and that can be in various forms. I don't think it has to be that everyone, you know, we don't have to rush out and immediately buy a gym membership just to do strength training. It's not like that at all. There's, there's loads of stuff you can do with body weight. Running up hills is, is strength training, hill reps is strength training. And there's loads of stuff we can do with body weight and, and things like rubber bands at home and, um, some very basic strength equipment. So I would definitely recommend people, people integrate that into their training if they're not already doing it. And there is a, an element of it that has to be done fairly well and at the right time, but, but, but that can come, that can be, be learned. And then there's probably a role for a small amount of flexibility to kind of supplement that. So I think definitely over the next five to 10 years, yes, strength training is going to become bigger and bigger. Um, other than that, in terms of trends, I think I think there's a, a big marathon boom coming even bigger than what it already is. Mm. 
because we've seen a huge boom in Parkrun, which I think has been amazing because it's got so many people into running in general and into 5Ks. And I think that's only going to grow into 10Ks, half marathons and marathons. And I, th I think we're probably seeing that with huge numbers of entries into the marathon majors. Uh, so with so many people not being able to get into these marathon majors, I think that will filter down into, into other races. You know, the marathons that are not quite as big as they could be, they'll see big booms and these big marathons will just get huge volumes coming in. And people, people really want to challenge themselves just now. You know, from, from all backgrounds of life, I think what we're seeing now is a lot of company CEOs, for instance, mm -hmm. who they've maybe made their money. They've maybe built a company to a massive size and then they're thinking what their next challenge is. And they're challenging themselves by, by going out and doing a marathon and then they want to do it faster than their next door neighbour. Yeah. You know? And I, I think that's the way I see things going over the next few years. Huge, huge marathon booms and people wanting to run further distances and faster times. Really, this is probably just an extension of what's been going on over the last five to ten years. Mm. I, I don't really see anything super new coming in because we've, we've I mean, sure technology and stuff like that is, is here to stay. I think we have to accept that side of things, but it's how well that's controlled. I think there has to be a limit on it. Yeah. And there will be there will be limits on it. But at the end of the day, it's gonna it's gonna be personal challenge. That's that's where it's gonna go, I think. Awesome. And to finish, mate, what I normally ask uh, guests is if they had a message to their younger self, what would it be? If I had a message to my younger self, <laughs> say yes more often. <laughs> Elaborate. <laughs> so when it comes to like things like adventures, you know, I, I think I, I'm sure my mum will come to listen to this at some point. My mum's a real worrier. She always worries about me all the time. <laughs> I think when I when I was younger, I get wrapped up in cotton wool too much, <laughs> and now now that I'm kind of throughout my adulthood, I think you know I like to try and say yes a little bit more, and because you know what you've you've got to do things and experience it, and that's what you learn from. Experiential learning is much bigger than anything you'll get from any any textbook or watching any programs on TV or reading any book. You know you've you've got to learn by experience, and that comes from saying yes to things. I think we've just got to go out there and do it. And I was saying to somebody actually this morning, there's, there's no such thing as failure. Just, just learn the lessons. If you say yes to something, you don't quite manage what you wanted to do. Just take the lessons from it and learn from it and then progress from that way. So yeah, definitely. Your message to my younger self, just say yes, go and do more. You'll be happy to know that you're not the first or second person to say that as their answer. Um, and I'm a firm believer as well. And it's very much about opportunity, you know, because if yeah. people give you an opportunity, you say no, then most of the time that won't come back again. So once exactly. you say yes, you just got to go and you've got to swim, right? It's a, and if you don't, well, you That's gave it. it a chance. So um, yeah, you definitely, uh, it's not a surprise to you, you say that. Um, and definitely by the sounds of your ambition as well. Um, you know, I can tell that you very much just jump in uh, head first and try and swim. <laughs> that's exactly it exactly it yeah if, if, if the deep end is all there is then get in there and do it <laughs> well thanks so much mate i really appreciate it and uh being the first guest of the year as well and giving us a bit more insight not into your own learnings um but also your exposure to you know the best running culture 
in the world and history says it by the results so um, it gives people a peep behind the curtain so I think the listeners will really appreciate the true story because we often hear or see the fabricated or the, the glossed up version of things so yeah it's always nice to to find out what the real world is actually like yeah as you're absolutely right and I've, I've really enjoyed the chat Irwin to be honest with you it's so been a pleasure to to talk to you and have a chat to you awesome thanks mate appreciate it